Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Big Tech Little Tech. I'm sat at home in the UK watching the first droplets of rain hit my window in about three weeks. Rick is in Spain, where rainfall is about as common as an apology from your bank. <laughs> when was the last time it rained in your neck of the woods, Rick? Well, actually, funny enough, about three days ago, and um, we had uh, a big thunderstorm overnight and we had we had a few... We had about four or five hours of, of drizzle. It wasn't very big rain. It wasn't a big downpour. But apart from that, it probably hasn't rained since May. And it probably won't rain again until about October. I thought you were going to say sort of May 1998. Yeah. Well, like everywhere, you know, we're short of rain. But we, we just it just doesn't rain here maybe once in three or four months. Well, we're very pleased with it here. Hope it, hope it. We're, we're getting some storms, so let's hope it continues. Well, I, re- I saw that. Um, I saw that there's a problem, isn't there? Because some, because t- the the thunderstorms. If you have too much rain too quickly, you almost have like the worst. Of, it's a double whammy, isn't it? After having such a you know such a dry summer, you want you want light drizzle over a long period of time rather than heavy downfall. Anyway. Yeah, is it is it that thing where you shouldn't drink a glass of water if you've crossed the desert because it could kill you? Is it is that a myth? Uh, You're supposed to sip it, right? I think that's. I think that probably is true. I think I'm that... thinking back to the good, the bad, and the ugly here. Yeah. <laughs> when when Clint was dragged across the desert and, and he wasn't allowed to, to sort of go for it. On... Anyway, I'm distracted. <laughs> so before we get stuck into our main topic, what tech has interested you this week, Rick? So, have you heard of this social media photo sharing app called Be Real? Be real. Be no, real. Yeah, so. yeah. This is the one to, this is the one to watch. There's a lot of, they've raised over a hundred million dollars already and it's only a couple of years old. It's based out of France, but it's a photo sharing app and it's getting a significant amount of attention. And it, it might be like, I mean, I can almost remember 18 months ago, we were all getting excited about Clubhouse. And then 15 yeah. minutes later, it's kind of got over that one. And Be Real might be like this. It's now the number one downloaded free app on the Apple App Store. Oh, so what's different about it? What's unique? Why is it number one? Well, first off, there's two. There's a characteristic around it, which I think is a, it's quite unique in the way it works. But also, there's a uniqueness around it. People are kind of associating it with the early days of Twitter. You know, at the very beginning, before people were tweeting about um you know, their opinions on political matters. In the old days, you know, you'd have been on there and you said, I've just eaten my bag of chocolate buttons and I've enjoyed them. And you'd have tweeted that in 140 characters. Oh, those halcyon days. Those halcyon days. Uh, And and because it's changed, it was quite naive, wasn't it, back then? Um, Anyway, the thing with Be Real is that what happens is you, you sign up to the app and then you have your little network group and then completely random, right? You have no idea. They send a message to you and all of your friends at exactly the same time when no one's expecting it with, with these like yellow, like nuclear warning signals that says time to be real. And you, ha- and everybody has two minutes to take photos. And what happens right. is when you take, and whatever you're doing, you have to take pictures of where you are and what you're doing, but it takes a picture from the front and the back. So it takes a selfie as, as well and matches it to the picture you're taking from your your forward-facing camera. and But if you don't take pictures in the two minutes, you kind of get marked as late and then you can't share them. Oh. But the idea is that, imagine, you know, you and I are in the same group and there's, there's we, you know, there's 10 mates and we're all in the same group and we get a message. Then we all take our pictures at the same time. So we all know what we're doing. And that's why it's got this, this kind of um, tagline of time to be real. There's a bit of a Twitter thing going on at the moment where the 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 the, the fan base 
are all taking historical photos and they're just tagging them time to be real. So there's one of the moment George Bush was um, told about 9-11, you know, he's kind of in the score mm. and he's looking serious and they're, they've just said time to be real. And it's anyway, that, that is the app at the moment that's getting a lot of attention. Have you downloaded it? Um, I have downloaded it. I haven't used it because I haven't got any friends on it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work when it's just you. It sounds like fun. Well, it is fun. I mean, you just imagine that it is, um, here's one of the things it's, it's been tagged as a kind of an anti Instagram, but one of the taglines, one of the marketing lines that Be Real are using is we're not going to make you famous. So you've kind of got this thing of influencers and people who are using TikTok particularly to become viral followers. So you Charlie D'Amelio's that's got 150 million followers and whatever. Whereas with Be Real, that's never going to happen. You're never going to be viral. You're only ever going to be within your social group. And talking to Clubhouse, I mean, Clubhouse have just changed their model and they're breaking into like little houses. And you are seeing this, this more fundamental shift in social media away from being this huge global network where you've got, say a billion people on to little tiny communities and saying, you know what? We don't need to know what people are saying outside of our own friendship group. We're going to go back to how it was at Facebook before um, the newsfeed come in, which was what, about 2014. So yeah, so be real. Yeah. Be real. Look out for that. What about you? What did you see? My favorite tech this week is uh, the cyber one humanoid robot. I watched the video and this is Xiaomi. It's from Xiaomi. For starters, I'm fascinated by how, we're obsessed with creating humanoid forms mm. for robots instead of more practical designs. But that aside, I'll tell you why. Because my favorite fantasy robot of the last few years is TARS from Interstellar. Do you remember that? Have you seen it? No, I don't know that one. Interstellar, one of the great Christopher Nolan films. Mm. And uh, TARS was basically a very blocky robot. It, it was just really out there. It didn't look like C-3PO or, or anything like that. Anyway, back to Cyber One, Xiaomi Cyber One. They made a video of this new robot, mm. and it just made me giggle because it's a humanoid form, but it moves so incredibly slow. It's almost like a comedy sketch. I actually had to check that it wasn't. It, it, it takes you right back to if it were in the Monty Python, uh, the Ministry of Silly Walks. It would, yeah. it would be a contender. But despite everything... I think it's uh, Cyber One robot represents a huge leap forward, I think, in terms of what the Xiaomi Robotics Lab is working on. Yeah. Because they're doing so much in AI machine learning and, and facial recognition and all sorts of things. Anyway, I'll provide a link to the story and the funny video in the show notes if, if you want to take a look. Well, what you reminded me of, because I saw that stuff as well, and, I, and I'm a big fan of this, is, you, you know, Tesla do an annual day, you know, and they had AI day yeah. and... You know, I can't remember what this one, the last one. Anyway, they, they were promoting the robot, but they had a guy dressed up as the robot in the suit, which was like right. a silver suit with a black faceless kind of uh, veil over his head. But they had, a, they, they, they had a human being dancing and moving around the stage like he was a robot. It was the bizarre. It's bizarre. So try and find <laughs> that one as well. For the end. Okay. I, I'm trying to think what the Tesla robot is called off the top of my head. I can't remember. Here's the news. Disney has surpassed Netflix in revealing a total of 221 million streaming subscribers. This is compared to Netflix's 220.7. They've only just made it. The company has also announced it will launch a Disney Plus service that includes advertising in December 2022. 
Facebook will begin testing end-to-end encryption as the default option for some Messenger app users on Android and iOS. Users currently have to opt in to make their messages end-to-end encrypted. Software supplier Advanced, which provides services for the NHS 111 services in the UK, recently confirmed that it had been hit by a ransomware attack. Patient data could have been stolen. And finally... Korean car manufacturer Hyundai has announced that its robotics firm will form the foundations of the Boston Dynamics AI Institute. Hyundai acquired Boston Dynamics in 2020. The new launch is being funded by a $400 million investment. Mm, Good news stories. Good news stories. So, Amazon is launching its palm scanner payment technology into more than 65 Whole Foods stores in California. It's called One, and this will be its biggest rollout so far. Introducing Amazon One, a free service that lets you use your palm to quickly pay for things, gain access, earn rewards, and more. Let's say you're grabbing your favorite coffee beverage, or heading into the office, or checking out. Just hover your palm and you're on your way. It's as easy as that. Sign up is free and takes less than a minute. All you need is a credit card, your phone number, and your palm. That's it. Since your palm is unique and can't be lost or misplaced, you can get things done quickly and securely. And with more experiences on the way, Amazon One will help you get even more done simply by being you. Cast your mind back to one of my favourite films, Rick, which is The Bourne Identity. Is this like Jason Bourne scanning into the bank in Zurich? <laughs> well, very much so. I mean, when you look at the whole biometric space, you've got um, you've got facial recognition, you've got fingerprint IDs, you've got voice, you've got iris scanning. Um, and and now what um, Amazon are rolling out is, is vein, uh, what, they, what they call, um, you know, hand vein uh, recognition. Yeah. And I hadn't realized this until I started reading up about the uh, Amazon One story, but it's actually more, it's, it's probably the most reliable of all of the biometric methods that they could use to identify a person because it's very difficult to replicate. One of the first things I thought of when I saw this is I thought, why wasn't this one of the first things we worked on? Because I also read that it was one of the better I, I, biometric ID things. Why weren't we first using handprints for, for th- stuff? Well, I don't know. It's actually, there's nothing new in the technology. This has been going out around a long time. And in fact, if you. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been going a long time. I think it, what the innovation here is the application of it. The fact that Amazon are looking to put it into a, a retail space. Yeah. But when you look at, at hand vein or palm reading kind of technology, there's nothing particularly new. It's been going for a while. And I think if you look at particularly police forces, they've been using, I mean, there was a story I, I found that was about six or seven years old where they call, um, uh, they were able to convict a, you know, a, a dad who had been abusing his daughter and nobody would believe the stories. And she'd set this camera up to film it. And on the film was, um, just an image of his hand and they were able to identify him because of the lighting from his, uh, from the veins that showed up in a wow. particular way, because it's also with the, the oxygenation in the blood and under certain lighting conditions, then you can, you can see the vein patterns and it's, it's a unique characteristic. Yeah. And if you think about other things, you know, face, you could, you can use images, you can use photos to, 
um, to fool a facial recognition with fingerprints. You can lift fingerprints off of, you know, off of uh, surfaces, uh, irises. You can have contact lenses, even, even voice. Um, you can use voice boxes to replicate someone. But when it comes to the veins, that's inside, inside your body. That's, it's, you know, it's a 99 plus percent accurate way and and very difficult to fall so actually it's quite a good method but it's a good question as to why it's taken so long well can i be macabre as well can i just be macabre and and add to that that if it were in goodfellas (laughs) that if someone actually cut your hand off it would affect the uh the vascular um uh, what am i after here it would it would affect the hand it would so that your veins would be very very different than if they were attached to your body wouldn't they so it wouldn't work then either yeah because the thing is it's like it's a good point because you see how many times now in movies right there's a you know there's a person's been killed or they're they're knocked out they take their eye out and then well but more simply you know you, you need to unlock someone's phone and you point the phone at their comatose face or you, yeah. you know, you, you, you take their bloodied finger and, and wipe it on the touch ID and then you can open the device. Whereas you're right. The whole point with the veins is it's not, it's not like the, the veins as, as physical things. It's the blood moving in the veins that yes. brings them up. And so it needs to be a living hand. You can't just like chop it off and walk around with a hand in your, in your, um, in your swag bag over the box. You know, is, is the robber. So it's um, and it's different. And anyway, what what Amazon are doing? If you and it's dead simple. You they're basically connecting a, the fingerprint, uh, so the hand, the palm impression with your credit card and your telephone number. Mm. And then when you go out of your store and you've done your check in, and it says that's you know that's thirty two dollars or thirty two euros or thirty two pounds, you just wave your hand over the scanner. It identifies you. And then, hey, presto, they've taken the money. Just the practical element there. The hand is scanned. Do you actually put your hand on anything? You don't put it, you don't physically touch it. From what I've seen of the, the technology, there's a, there's like a, um, a round disc. Like, you know, if you imagine like a card machine, imagine at the moment, right? You take your credit card and you, you're contactless and you just, you just put it to the face of a, of a card reader. It would be much the same as that. You just put your hand over a, over a reading device. Right. So it's a contactless uh, uh, thing. It's contactless. Yeah. I put a LinkedIn post the other day uh, about it. And I jokingly said, you know, we've solved a first world problem because no longer do we have to waste time and effort getting our card out of our wallet or getting our phone out of our pocket. You know, our hands already there. It was one of those odd occasions when it all went kind of completely mental. And I had 36,000 views and 180 odd comments on on the whole post but you know the thing was that it was interesting seeing the responses i got back because you had a whole bunch of people that said this is terrible right this is surveillance gone mad you know this is the end of the world this is some dystopian you know um george orwell type future and then because you had another half that said mate surveillance is universal and ubiquitous now and we better just get used to it this is just another way of making our lives easier and of course when you you think it's amazon everything amazon do is about convenience and you know we had one click you remember when one click came in and you got instant delivery and they're doing all this stuff for same day delivery we talked about drones the other week with amazon we talked about the healthcare the other week when you know you could say to alexa you know, I'm not well, and then they put you through. So what about the other 50%? Do they have a point? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Because here's the thing. The data is being stored in the cloud, right? If you take your phone, right, and lots of people compare it with, say, you know, using your iPhone 
to make payments. Mm. That biometric information is held in the device. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Samsung's payment, you know, is the same. They, you know, on the Android, they hold the biometric data in the device. Whereas this is not, this is being not stored locally. This has been stored in, it's encrypted and, you know, you've got all the kind of Amazon assurances around the the protection of that data but amazon have a lousy record when it comes to surveillance and customer data so yeah i think they do they do have a they do have a point what's your opinion then in harvesting biometric data um for the good of us for our convenience it is a fine line but what's your take on it well i'm 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 quite relaxed about it all i'm a bit of a contrarian in that you know i also think we should genuinely be concerned about privacy and and encroachment and and putting rules and regulations and and penalties in place so that it's not um abused however i also think the reality of the world for a long long time has been that um, surveillance is just part of the, the whole uh, inv- ecosystem, right? So you, you know, from facial recognition as you walk down Oxford, Cir- uh, Oxford Street in London uh, to, you know, the tax authorities knowing what, what you're spending on your credit card. You know, Edward Snowden, you know, told us a decade ago that, yeah. you know, this was going on. So I'm, you know, I just think, look, you know, it is what it is. You just almost kind of got to make sure that it's done in as safe a way as possible. I think the problem for Amazon is that they've just, you know, they, they there was this whole business about ring, right? So you have these, these cameras on, on doorbells. And I think it was 2019, the Washington Post broke the story that there are over 400 American law uh, police forces that are part of a network that have access to video footage from the ring cameras, you know, without warrants or permission from the owners, they're able to see what's going on outside the house. Now there's a good side to that because that's that, you know, they're kind of getting free cameras, but there's a, also a concern of, well, they're not really asking anyone's permission. Am I right in saying that Amazon actually sold that facial recognition? Well, that was a separate one. Yeah, I mean, they, they used to have a – well, they still do have facial recognition software called Recognition, but with a K. And they um, they used to sell that to law enforcement in the United States. And they about a year ago, they, they, they self-imposed moratorium on selling it. But it was one of those – no one a bit shady as to whether they're still really – um, providing facial recognition software that, that police forces are using. Um, mm. and, and there's, and even just things like Alexa. I mean, I think again, a couple of years ago, it came out that, uh, even when users delete Alexa data, I'm, fi- I'm firing everyone's machines. <laughs> I can imagine our audience is, <laughs> but you know, Amazon were not deleting the data, even though users were deleting the data on the devices. And so, I think I think there's a genuine cause for hesitation as to whether Amazon's the right company to be in charge of stuff. But you know what, Sean? I, I honestly I don't get vexed by You're you're pragmatic. It is what it is. I mean I, I selling to law enforcement is one thing as well. You you can be sort of contrarian. You can see the side of it where, you know, maybe this is for the better good of the good people of the world. Um but Amazon recently partnered with a ticketing service. And when I read that, I immediately thought, okay, so partnering with a ticketing service isn't exactly U.S. law enforcement, isn't exactly the government or, or, an, authority, or an authority. It's a ticketing service. How much of our biometric data is 
the likes of a Ticketmaster mm. or an AXS going to get, and how much do we want them to know about us? Well, you see that you know that that in many ways you think, well, how how great is this? So they when they partnered with um, AXS, they wanted to roll out and, and trial Amazon One a year ago or so at a Denver music festival, and the idea would be that punters had bought their tickets and they would literally just walk to the to the gate wave their hand in front of a scanner and would come in. There would be no nonsense with tickets or scanning QR codes or anything like that. It would literally, it's the most convenient it, Amazon could make it. And, and actually the, the, the customers, you know, the, the, the venue goers objected. They just didn't want it to, um, to go ahead. And it's because of this, this concern that what you end up doing is surreptitiously build a database of identities. And it means that, you know, you could be picking up you know, you could put you could put hidden scanners everywhere, um, or every time somebody you know goes through a device and they they push their hand over a scanner, you know, it can be you can be identified without having given your express permission to be identified. And it's one of the arguments that's been used, particularly in the UK, about having ID cards, uh, which again, I, I you know, I've never really been that concerned about. We have ID cards here in Spain, and it's hmm. to be honest, it's. It's, it's, it's so convenient because I just have one card with my biometric and I use it for everything. I'm all for it myself, yeah. But the, the other thing as well, which I always find funny with the, well, I find amusing with these things, is that on the one hand, you've got everyone wants it to be convenient, but nobody really wants to give anything up in return for it being more convenient. And yet the whole world now runs on the basis that we are trading our data in return for all this free stuff. I mean, if if you think... If all of a sudden we had to pay for Google Maps and Google Search and Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and all this stuff that we take for free, whether it's just for in, in, enjoyment and entertainment or actual practical uses like getting it from A to B, everyone would be up in arms. And yet, you know, we, we've been given our data and our, our identity and our personalities away for 15 years um, in, in, the, in, the, in the name of what we, what we generally call Web 2, you know, the second generation of the internet. I think a lot of it is that we're missold convenience, though. I, I, I would say that. We're told that the more we give up, the more convenient your lives will be. But it feels as though the problems of having given up a lot more of our identities far outweighs the convenience we've experienced. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Yeah, I think I think it's a fair point that the 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 business model that has made Facebook and Google what they are hasn't been properly understood. It still amazes me that people don't really understand what the answer is when you say to them, "Well, who do you think you know? How do you think Facebook earns forty dollars a year from you being on Facebook?" And you know, they don't really understand that you know the trade. Um, and I guess that's probably behind the, the whole surveillance thing. You know, nobody gets anxious, nobody gets worried about credit cards. And yet, you know, that's got all of the same information that's all stored in central locations that's hackable. You know, it's protected. It's very well protected, but it's still, it can still just be as hacked as easily as Amazon's uh, palm reading database. You know, the argument is that we get upset about one thing, but you know, there's not an equivalence that balances it out by saying, well, if we're going to be upset about that, we should be upset about, frankly, everything in the tech economy. Oh, it sounds like we are. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think it is, Sean. I think, I think it's, it, I think it's, it's, it's that combination of, of like ignorance in the sense of we don't really understand it and it's new and it's coming along. And therefore we're fearful of it. There's a sort of a natural human instinct to be fearful of change and things that we don't really understand. But over a period of time, 
once people get used to it, it becomes a norm and no one's worried about it. And I think that's where we'll end up with this. Well, can I can I come back to the hand thing then? Would you say there's a, an element of this that it could be tech for tech's sake? No, I don't think so. You think it is moving things on? Right. Amazon changed the world uh, on a number of levels. And one of them was when they introduced one click. You know, and we forget what it was like before we had one click when you wanted to order online. You know, one click and then you have next day delivery and you just pay your Amazon Prime membership and you get all this stuff for free. Amazon are going to move to no click, right? I mean, I'm convinced that they're going to go to the the ultimate convenience where they just know so much about you. They know what you want, when you want it, and they'll just send it to you and they'll just bill you. And so this is this to me just fits in with the whole strategy around you know, why they built one medical and they're going to build healthcare into the Amazon Prime. They've, ju- they've just bought the, the vacuum cleaner business, iRobot. So they'll now, you know, add to their home automation technology. They've got the, the food shopping. They, they know so much about you already. And I think you are going to move to a situation where Amazon, what they'll do is they'll know you so well, they'll just know what you need and when you need it. And they'll just send it to you and you won't even have to order it. And to me, Paying with, with the wave of your hand is just fits in that whole thing because you don't need you could go out with no wallet, no phone. You could just be you, Sean. Mm-hmm. You bag of chocolate buttons and you could walk out the store and that's it and pay for it with your hand. How happy would you be? I'd, I'd be reasonably happy if it integrated with other ecosystems that I used. How, how likely is that to happen? Well, you know, you know, that's a great question. This is where I think one of the challenges is going to become with this technology because. If you think about the credit cards, you have one credit card and that's your universal payment mechanism. And you go to any, you go to any store and they've got all different, ca- you know, card readers and yet they all work. They will take you on card. You, you could end up in a situation when imagine, let's say, you know, Amazon, it's a success. So Walmart, Walmart are going to come along and say, well, we're going to want it. So a Walmart going to have their own database of biometric information. So they're going to hold identical records or maybe they, look slightly different because they're just using a different way of storing the data and, and therefore Walmart have done it. Then Walgreens want to do it. And then, you know, or, you know, you've got Tesco's doing it and then Sainsbury's are doing it and then Waitrose are doing it for a UK audience. So you could end up with, with a bit of a dog's dinner if, you know, mm. and then, and then you could see a situation where someone like a visa would say, you know what, rather than you retailers hold it, we will hold it. So instead of giving people a physical card, you have a, a visa identity kind of token, um, which would be more in the cryptocurrency space uh, using you know blockchain and all the rest of it, which is linked to your hand ID. And then what happens is all of the various uh, partners within the ecosystem go to an, uh, an independent identity database, which is not run by Amazon or Walmart or Walgreens or anybody like that. Which actually some might say is a sovereign identity idea of, of having a blockchain, using blockchain to, to store your own data. Well, the, you, well you're, into, you're into another argument then. It's like, well, who should do this? Should this be government, right? Because you've already, because you, essentially your, your formal identity at the moment is demonstrated through your passport or through a national health insurance number or a tax number of some way. That's a government, um, you know, that's a government-run... Uh, it's a government-issued identity. A government-issued identity record, a way of identifying who you are. And uh, But then you come back to this whole thing. You can just imagine all of the, the arguments against having, you know, more government control because you're then into the, well, this is what China do. And, um, you know, that's not in a, you know, free society what we want to happen. And you, and you kind of then goes around, around into a sort of a circular 
kind of argument. And then you say, but actually it's in everyone's interest to just have a really convenient and easy to use, you know, identity mechanism and using your face, uh, sorry, using your hand seems pretty convenient to me because I've always got my hand with me. Anyway, it's only a throwaway question, but why did they call it Amazon One? Are they deliberately, are they deliberately trying to piss Apple? Because <laughs> obviously Apple has a service called Apple One. You know what? Actually, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know. Do you know why it's called One? I know. I, well, you're the oracle of all of my knowledge <laughs> on these things. If you don't know, no one knows. Yeah, it's an odd name. Uh, it's, a, it's a fairly neutral name. Um, I don't know why it's called Amazon One. It seems uh, it seems like they just run out of ideas on that one. It's yeah. it's a very <laughs> it's a very uninspiring name. Maybe that's part of the thing is to uh, um oh, no Amazon One. If you think about it, you know what is the only one you need. I mean, I guess you could probably yeah you could probably think well oh you're you're pitching for a job in the marketing <laughs> department now. That, that's what it is. Hey, look, my life's been spent in, in sales. There's no way I'll cross the line into marketing. <laughs> So, Rick, we're coming to the end of the show, but a couple of episodes ago, I think we were talking about music and hobbies and things like mm-hmm. that, and you happened to mention you love drumming. So, <laughs> I'm a table so drummer. I wanted to ask you, yeah, I wanted to ask you who your favourite drummer was. Oh my gosh! Well, I tell you what, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those frustrated drummers, so I, I'm always tapping at the table, and my wife is constantly you know telling me to shut up uh well let, let, so i've probably got two answers to, off the top of my head one is i've got to mention one of my favorite films of all time which is whiplash oh a fantastic film miles teller plays the uh, the young the young student drummer who's uh um given a rough time by um uh, the guy who won the oscar uh, jay, jay simmons. simmons yeah but you know Miles Teller is just unbelievable, and that's such a good film. Uh, I like that. But if I was going professional dramas, it would have to be Stuart Copeland. Oh, the police! Oh, terrific! I saw the police in 1980 at the Milton Keynes Bowl. Did you? Yeah, yeah. It was wow. an it was an outdoor concert. I used to live in Northampton. Uh, I went to Milton Keynes, and we saw there was police, and there was UB40, and there was Squeeze. On the on the bill was that squeeze when when Jules Holland was, was yeah, called yeah. to be cats and all that kind of stuff. And I remember it was the first time I seen Police live, and I, I liked the music, but I was absolutely captivated by Sting. I mean, the guy was unbelievable in terms of presence. I've David Bowie's the only other person I've seen live who I'd say I've ever seen live where I think they just have a, an aura about them. In fact, I saw David Bowie at Milton Keynes in 1983 when the serious moonlight tour went on but no i drummer i would say stuart copeland i think that mix of a kind of a reggae pop i think he just unbelievable great drummer yeah he i think i i remember a story he once said about uh drumming he said if it's not complicated it's not interesting <laughs> i love that he doesn't go with that the, the one two beat he has to make something complicated and i thought that's great when you think there was a three they were a three piece and they were a three piece without the 10 piece supporting uh, musicians yeah. right yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah i think my favorite drummer uh, i'm not sure who it is because um it's the drummer on the soundtrack of dirty harry by by Lalo Schifrin. So Lalo Schifrin did the score for Dirty Harry. And it could be a jazz uh, drummer called Larry Bunker. I don't know if you've heard no. of Anyway, if anyone's listening and knows who the drummer is from the Dirty Harry soundtrack, it's one of the great... Go listen to it, Rick. It's some phenomenal drumming. Oh, right, I will do. Yeah, yeah, I will do. 
All right, thanks for tuning in to our seventh episode. We will be back in a couple of weeks with more analysis and not too serious conversation about big tech, little tech, and everything in between. This has been a Sean Weston Media production. I was Sean Weston. And I was Rick Huckstep. 